Hello, I'm Jeremy Coleman, a barrister at Tenold Square, and today I'm going to be looking at the case of Boyle v Burke, a decision of the High Court by the then Mr Michael Green QC, then a deputy, now a full High Court judge, which is reported in 2021 BCLC 524. I appeared in that case as counsel, and I should hasten to add that everything I'm going to be saying in this podcast today is matters that are in the public domain, reported in the judgment or given in evidence in open court. So the case is very interesting. It looks at a number of issues surrounding dissolution in the context of what we would call either a general or a traditional or an 1890 Act partnership. Um, And that's, as you will all know, a partnership between individuals working together with a view to profit. It's not a separate legal entity, which, for example, an LLP or a limited company are. So we're talking here about a traditional partnership. And the question of what dissolution is and how it operates in that context is one which is the subject of surprisingly little judicial decision and consideration. So this judgment is quite a useful one and an important one in looking at the area of dissolution in the context of traditional partnerships. So a little bit about the factual backdrop. This was a solicitor's partnership in which Mr Boyle had been a partner for quite a large number of years and had retired in 1988. And since 1988, he had been paid a pension and the remaining partners or continuing partners for the relevant period, Mr Burke and Mr Cave, had been paying that pension for some while themselves. And the issue was whether the transfer of um, much, um, but not all, of the business of the traditional partnership to a limited company amounted to something which triggered by reason of dissolution and entitlement under clause 2.43 of the partnership agreement to a roll-up payment to Mr Boyle of the balance of the value of his pension. And the wording of the relevant clause was centred around the question as to whether or not there had been, open inverted commas, the final dissolution of the partnership at its termination And so that then led to an interesting piece of litigation around what it was that constituted dissolution and whether, which was the claimant's case, the defendants transferring the whole of their legal practice and other businesses to the company constituted a dissolution event. So before getting into the judgment in more detail and the analysis, the judge made a number of interesting and useful observations about dissolution more generally. So he rightly observed that the Act does not, that's the 1890 Partnership Act, does not distinguish between general dissolution on the one hand and technical dissolution on the other, but there is of course an important distinction between those two types of dissolution. So a general dissolution, as the judge observed, is where the partnership is brought to an end and there's then generally a winding up of the partnership after the dissolution and ultimately a divvying up of the residue. That has to be contrasted with a technical dissolution, on the other hand, 
where there is merely a change in the membership but the partnership continues and as the judge observed those two concepts of dissolution are not distinguished in the act and it's quite clear that the phrase dissolution is used in the act to mean both types of dissolution at different points well say one type at one point and the other type at other points so the act doesn't clearly distinguish which form of dissolution is being referred to the other observation that the judge made helpfully was that the language of general partnerships is that you have a dissolution first followed by a winding up which is the antithesis of the way that the language is used in the context of companies where you have a winding up leading ultimately to a dissolution so some useful general observations on the language in the act and more generally so the question in this case for consideration was whether clause 2.43 of the deed of articles of partnership had been triggered and the relevant phrase was upon the final dissolution of the partnership at its termination and so forth so the question was whether or not there had been a final dissolution of the partnership and that was the matter that the judge gave careful consideration to now the facts need a little bit more understanding and again as i say this is all discussed openly in the judgment and mr burke who gave evidence was entirely open and clear in his evidence about this matter namely the continuing partners mr burke and mr cave were very much aware of the clause 2.43 sword of damocles as they described it hanging over their heads and of the risk of triggering the roll-up clause as to pension entitlement and so when they transferred much of the business of the partnership to a limited company which they did in order to achieve the benefit of limited liability protection they were very keen indeed not to trigger the pension roll-up position so and again this is all discussed in the judgment they initially considered leaving the estate agency business of the solicitors firm in the traditional partnership but for various regulatory reasons they were not able to do so so in the end what happened was that the lease of the property was left in their names of mr burke and mr cave and they sublet it to the limited company they also expressly left the liability for the pension in their hands as traditional partners and did not transfer that liability under the sale and purchase agreement to the limited company so the contention of mr boyle was that the effect of the sale and purchase agreement and the transfer of the law practice to the limited company had resulted in a dissolution for the purposes of 2.43 the judge gave careful consideration to the law about what constituted a dissolution and held that what he had to find was that there had been a full general dissolution of the partnership in order to meet the provisions of clause 2.43 and he observed that it was clear from the wording of the act and the law more generally that it was possible by mutual agreement to decide to dissolve the partnership in the sense of a general dissolution formally ending or terminating the relationship 
he looked with care at two earlier cases in which the key judgments were both those of the then Mr Justice Newberger and Lord Justice Newberger in National Westminster Bank and Jones and then in Chahal and Mahal and formed the view that, quotes, in my view, Lord Justice Newberger is saying that in these sorts of circumstances there has to be an actual agreement by all the partners to dissolve. It may be possible to infer such an agreement by their conduct in transferring all the business and assets of the partnership, but it is still ultimately a factual question as to whether there was such an agreement by all the partners. So the judge took the view that he should not accept the submissions of Mr Boyle and should not take the view that the transfer of the business of the law firm to the limited company amounted to some sort of inferred or implied dissolution. Indeed, he said that given that the partners clearly intended to avoid that exact outcome, in other words, they did not wish the partnership to dissolve, he could not see how on the facts and evidence, which in large part was unchallenged, it could possibly be right for him to find a agreement to dissolve merely from the transfer of the law firm business to the limited company. So he therefore found there wasn't a final dissolution for the purposes of Clause 2.43. There wasn't a general dissolution. The onus was on the claimant to establish that and that therefore the claim failed. He also made a number of other interesting observations about Section 1 of the Partnership Act, which, as you all know, is the definition of that partnership which is often cited. And Section 1 says that a partnership is the carrying on a business in common with a view of profit. And so there was an argument there as to whether the conduct of the traditional partnership in subletting the premises to the limited company amounted to or could amount to the continuation of the business of the partnership. Firstly, the judge accepted that in accordance with the position in Khan and Mir, it didn't take very much to satisfy the low threshold of Section 1 of the Act. But he also made the interesting observation that once one was in a position where Section 1 had been satisfied, in other words, where you were trading in a partnership, then, quotes, it should be much harder to say that it, i.e. the partnership, had slipped outside of Section 1. And he prayed an aid, a quote from Lindley and Banks, that a temporary cessation of a partnership business will not cause a dissolution. So, in other words, once one was in a partnership, one didn't simply drop out of being a partnership if for a period of time it arguably was the position that you weren't doing something which would have satisfied if you'd frozen the frame at that moment in time, section one. But in any event, those observations are an additional useful gloss in the judgment. So, uh, taking a step back, where does that leave us? We learn from this case a number of useful things. Firstly, some elucidation on the meaning of dissolution and the difference between a general dissolution on the one hand and a technical dissolution on the other. Secondly, we learn a lot more about the effect of a transfer of a substantial but not all of the business of a traditional partnership to a limited company 
and the way in which the law operates. And we see that essentially it's a question of factual analysis to see whether the facts are such that the parties have essentially mutually agreed to dissolve. And it does seem that the hurdle will be a pretty high one for a claimant trying to assert that a general dissolution should be inferred or implied in such circumstances. And finally, we have some interesting observations about the interaction between Section 1 of the Partnership Act and dissolution and learn how, whilst you can relatively easily start a partnership, it's more difficult to end up dissolving that same partnership. So a very useful and interesting decision in which I appeared for the successful defendants, Mr. Burke and Mr. Cave. So I hope you've enjoyed that podcast and I wish you a very good rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening.